everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where writers sit around drinking tasty beverages to talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that may not agree, but are lovingly delivered. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your pro fan base today is Chaz and Karen Brinchley. But this is episode 192, interview with Karen Marie Shelton. Welcome, Karen. Hi, how are you? So, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. We're delighted to have you here, too. Thank you. So, my husband, Chaz, has not had a chance to meet you, but he does know that we first met writing on Medium. Yes. But we're here today to talk about your new book. Would you like to uh, tell us something about that? Sure. Um, my first book, which was came out a couple months ago, is called How to Avoid Murder While Using Dating Apps. <laughs> and it's a it's a hybrid book. I don't think there's anything like it on the market. Maybe there is, but I don't think so. It's a combination of true crime and self-help. And my inspiration for the book, I've been writing true crime for years. And one of the things that would frustrate me when I would write true crime is that I would see all these horrible true life situations. And a lot of times people would continue to fall into the same traps. And I would say to myself, why do people, why aren't they aware of this? Kind of, you know, when you're growing up and kids are told don't take candy from strangers. Um, and so I would write about these different true crimes, especially now with dating apps, and I would see the same mistakes being made. So I wrote a book that has eight real life true crime situations with victims and killers, and they all met through dating apps. And I covered a range of the dating apps, not just one, but a lot of them. And I covered, um, you know, women with women, women with men, men with men, um, different ages. I tried to really mix it up because there are a lot of victims of dating apps and it covers the entire spectrum. I mean, no one who's on a dating app is really safe unless they pay attention. And at the end of the book, which is a very large chapter, chapter nine, I give a very detailed checklist of all the things you can do to protect yourself from being murdered while you're on a dating app. Um, and that's how the book came to be. It was my way of writing a true crime book and also doing something to give back to people. Hopefully somebody will read the last chapter and go, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't invite somebody over to my house the first time I meet them online, you know, and it's just, it just has a lot of really interesting and practical tips. A lot of things a lot of people wouldn't think about. That sounds fascinating and mm -hmm. and and actually useful. Um Yes. How how did you how did you how did you come come to know so much about this? Was it just through the true crime writing you've done before? Well, it was actually two things. Well, first of all, in college, my undergraduate degree is in sociology with a minor in psychology. And both of those were focused on the criminal, like, you know, deviant behavior yeah. types of uh, psychology and sociology. So I've always had an interest in that. And when I was a senior at the University of Missouri working on sociology, our professor took us to a jail where a prison, actually, where we got to meet, you know, different situations, people. Um, we got to talk to people about the prisoners. It was fascinating. And so I was hooked. I was hooked on true crime from that point on. But um, I actually had a friend 
who had a very serious near death, a, a brush with death um, on a dating app where she went out with a man and uh, it didn't go well. She didn't die, but she could have. And that always stuck in my head. Like, why? What could I do maybe to help the world? Maybe not the world, because I'm sure you know the world is not reading my book, although that would be great. But what can I do to help people who might not think about these things that could cost them their lives. So it was a combination of my history with true crime and sociology, psychology, and a friend who went through a very serious, almost death on a dating app. So that's how it all came to be. Okay. So you write this book. Yes. And what was your process then? I mean, how how did you approach getting it published? You know, um, in the past, I've been writing my whole life. In fact, I made my living in the software industry as a technical writer. I, I started out as a software engineer and then became a, a systems engineer. And I was always the one they, that they would say, hey, could you write the user documents because you speak, you know, human. Yeah. Um, and so I was always doing those kinds of user facing things and eventually became very skilled at technical writing um, and actually had teams of people who worked for me doing technical writing. So I made a very good living in the software industry for years as a technical writer. And then I started writing on the side, doing all kinds of other things. In fact, the first paid column I ever got was when I was in my 20s. I was paid to write an astrology column for a teen magazine. So I've always been writing. Along the way, along the road, I've actually done or completed three book proposals for three different publications. Um, One of them was a software user manual for the old ISS when it first came out. And um, it got all the way to the publisher and the publisher said, no, I I think this is too technical. So it didn't make it. Mm. Um, And then I uh, was asked to write a proposal for a hair and beauty book because I have a background writing in that genre and that got pretty close and that didn't happen. And so the last thing I did, I was, I, I started, I did a proposal with a celebrity hairstylist to do a ghost writing of his life as a celebrity hairstylist. Uh And that didn't make it either. So I became very suspicious of the traditional route of using an agent, writing a proposal, doing all those things. And I said, you know what? I want to learn everything there is to know about the book publishing industry. I'm going to self-publish. And that's what I did. Okay. So how did you go about learning everything there is to know about self-publishing? Well, uh, the first thing I did was I hired um, an editor whose primary, you know, all that she does for her living is she's a ghostwriter, but she also writes uh, science fiction on her own under pseudonyms. She has two or three pseudonyms and she has series like, you know, you have your cool series. Well, she has series. Anyway, she started out self-publishing and eventually she got an agent and now she publishes through a publishing house. But she's already been around the block multiple times with self-publishing and I hired her to edit my book. So she was able to guide me and say, okay, you need to do this. And, you know, so I learned the whole process from her. Wow. Your own personalized, you know, how to do this course. That's brilliant. Yeah, but that yeah. is, that is abs- I mean, if, if you have the funds, that is absolutely the way to do it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was hopeful that the book would do well, but my primary purpose, seriously, I wanted to help people. That's always been my core focus in my entire life. In fact, that's why I went into sociology and psychology. I wanted to help people. I saw people suffering with, you know, mental illness or other social conditions, and I wanted to help them. I never quite got there. I always 
wound up in like software or writing astrology columns or whatever, but it was always my goal to help people. I was just going to ask how you go from sociology and psychology with an aim to helping people to doing software. Well, it was an accident. I don't know if you want to hear it. It's kind of a weird one. Oh, I love weird stories. Okay. Well, anyway, at the University of Missouri, where I went to school to get my sociology degree, we had to take nine hours of uh, computer-related research, um, you know, tools. Like we had to learn SPSS and SAS, scientific programming, because we did a lot of statistical analysis. In fact, we had to take statistical analysis classes because the focus of the program was research. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did a lot of research projects and we had to run our own numbers. We had to use the computer center. And so even though I hated it at the time, <laughs> I was there slugging it out, writing, you know, uh, SPSS and SAS and all these different programs to do the analysis of my data. And it never occurred to me in a million years, I would wind up in software. I was going to go off and, you know, do sociological research or get my PhD or do something like that. And while I was working on my master's degree, one of my professors helped me get a job working full time for the city of St. Louis agency that was funded by the Department of Labor. And we had to do tons of statistical analysis of all this data we were collecting to prove that the Department of Labor was getting their money's worth. Well, my boss one day said, hey, do you know how to write SPSS programs? And I go, yeah. He goes, okay, you're the software person. I'm like, what? Um, (laughs) Next thing you know, know, I'm writing. um, He's got me working with all these computer centers, and I'm having to learn basic assembler language. I'm writing COBOL programs. I'm writing PL1. I'm writing Fortran. And I'm going, what is happening here? And so I did that for a couple of years. And the more I did, the more they gave me, of course. And after I got my master's degree, I was offered a job full-time in the software industry for a international software company. And the rest is history. I never escaped after that point. That's magic. Um, Sidebar. Yes. Do you still remember how to code COBOL? I do. Because I was just reading how um, half the financial software globally still runs on COBOL. Yes. And almost nobody knows how to how to fix it anymore. Well, I do. I do. I st- in fact, yesterday in my garage, which is filled with books, yeah. huge, filled with books, yeah. um, I found an old COBOL uh, manual that I used to use on my old job. So if you needed to. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know. In my spare time. Yeah, in your spare time, you can make millions because you could probably, you know, charge your. Save the financial industry. Yeah. Yes. They're getting desperate. Yeah. Charge your own very high rate and and then double that. And then, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm going to hire you guys to be my agents. How's that? That's good. That's we'll, good. We'll do it. You guys can get a kickback, a commission, or whatever it is you charge, a agent's fee or whatever on all the work that you book for me. <laughs> okay, I'll, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> she will and all. Um, so, okay, look, get, getting back to the process. Um, yes. You hired an editor who talked you through the whole damn yes. kit and caboodle. Mm-hmm. And how long did it take from final text to publication? Three months. Woo. This is so much faster than... The traditional routes I'm used to. Yeah, and guess what? I'm going to tell you a secret. Mm. She made me. She said, I'll work with you, but you have to buy the tools. So guess what? Yeah. I bought an Apple Mac 
So that because really you can do some really great stuff with the Apple when you want to upload it into, uh, you don't want to really use the software that Amazon gives you. You want to put it through a filter first. And the filter that we were going to use was on the Apple. And mm-hmm. she taught me how to use it so that when I did the first, um, when I hit the first publish, of course you find errors, of yeah. course. And so I'm reading the book after it was Amazon sending me this nice little note. Oh, it's published now. You can read. I'm going to read it. Oh, no. Oh, no. And so you can go. I could sit there with my little Apple and I could make changes on the fly, upload them. And the next day they were fixed. Yeah. Wow. I have all Apple stuff Mm -hmm. um, just because I I used I, I was a software engineer from you know, punch card days. Mm-hmm. And um, I was working on three different, I was working on a project that had three different systems um, and the Apple was the new one. But I found that when I came home, nothing broke on the Apple. <laughs> right. It's yeah. indestructible. They're like, they're actually like cockroaches, don't you think? Yes. Yes. You can't kill them. You just you can't, can't kill them. No. Nope. They take over the world. They survive. Right. They the do. World. Yes. But, you know, I, I, that's what where I'm, I'm here with my Apple laptop and then I have all the other Apple things and just, just so this doesn't turn into an advertisement program. I am anti Apple from day one, which was about 1980, whenever it was. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm Linux now. I am Linux through and through. Oh, yes. My husband's Linux. He loves it. But, but actually, uh, I did all of the interface with Vellum. Um, yeah. I wrote it in, uh, uh, Google Docs, and she edited in Google Docs because we could share the files and talk about everything that needed to be added. And then we uploaded it to Vellum, and from there we uploaded it to uh, Amazon, and boom, and it looked so professional. People were saying mm-hmm. to me, how did you get it to look so nice? And mm-hmm. I said, well, we did this process. And guess what? My second book, I'm doing 99% of it myself. She's going to edit it for me yeah. because I think everybody needs editors. Everybody yes. needs an editor. Yeah, they need a second pair of eyes. And I also have a proofreader that I trust. But um, I'm doing all the I'm getting it all laid out so that mm-hmm. when we're ready, I can actually pour it into vellum and upload it myself. Yes, this Excellent. is all so cool. Cover cover art. How did you get a cover? Oh, um, I hired an artist. Um, I know a woman who's a very good, uh, she's done cover art for years. Um, and she did it for me. I told her, and I, you know, I told her I'm going to do a series. The, the next book is how to avoid getting murdered by your children. Um, and it's going to be the similar thing. Yeah. Um, it's going to have the true crime stories all about children who killed their parents mm-hmm. and how it could have been avoided. Um, anyway, I'm going to do a series of four or five of these. And so when I talked to the artist, I said, I'm going to need all the covers to have kind of the same look and feel. And so we actually laid out four of the covers, you know, for the next couple of books. And she did an amazing job. Really good. I'm so looking forward to reading these. Yes, I know, right? Yeah. Wow. Like I I said, I don't know if I'll have time to do the Cobol, Chaz. That's okay. (laughs) Just just know that the opportunity is there. Okay. probably phone Silicon Valley and say, I know Cobol, and, and people will fall on you with cries of glee. Yes. Well, I'm counting on you guys to do that because I don't know anybody. I used to go out there all the time, but I don't know anybody anymore. So if you oh. know anybody, let me know. And my husband knows Cobalt too. So the two of us together, oh, cool. could, we could be a Cobalt band. You know what? If you can teach me Cobalt, <laughs> then then I can at least understand what they're asking when they're when they're mm. looking for someone. When he's bankers, okay. he's begging. Okay. Anyway, it's very it, obtuse, but it works. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've learned, like I said, I learned on punch cards. Yeah. Me too, by the way. So I know you, I met you because we both write on medium. You write much more and much better than I do, but. um, Oh, thank you. You're so kind, but you're very great too. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. So I know that you write more than just really fascinating books with great titles um, that I can't (laughs) wait to read. Yeah, just tell me more more about your your writing process. What, where else do you write, uh, and what do you, uh, you know, what do you focus on in that writing? Do you still do more the self help and the and the don't get killed, or do you, you know, what topics do you like to write about? Well, my whole life has been a series. I feel almost like I'm a a weed blowing through the wind. The wind is blowing me hither or here and there because I have had some very bizarre side, I guess I almost call them like side lifetimes or something. It's just really crazy stuff happens to me. So anyway, I told you the story about how I wound up in software. So I was happily in software and working for all these startups and eventually found my way into the telecommunications arena, which used to be called telephony, by the way. Um, and I wanted to grow my hair long. It wouldn't grow. It was damaged and broken. And so one of the software engineers came up to me one day, true story, and said, your hair sucks. And I said, <laughs> what? She said, yes, I'm going to take you somewhere and get it fixed. I can't look at it anymore. True story. Her name is Cindy, by the way. Hello, Cindy, wherever you are. And she took me on a lunch hour to this hairstylist who specialized in growing long hair. And he said, okay, we're going to have to cut it all off and start over from scratch. So we did. And it took me a couple of years. And eventually, I was able to grow my hair down to my waist, which is where it still is, by the way. Anyway, he said to me one day, and this was back in 1994, no, no, no. 19. I'm losing track of time, guys. Yeah, uh, you do. I'm going to do it too. 19. Oh, yeah. 1994. And he said to me, oh, you know, do you know anything about this internet thing? And I go, well, yeah, of course. And he's like, oh, well, I want to start a website. And I go, you do? You're a hairdresser. And do mm. you have any experience? No. Well, what do you want to do? I, and he said, well, I did this home video on how to braid long hair. And I want to sell it on the internet because I read somewhere that I'm going to become an overnight millionaire if I put this video out on the internet. Could you build me a website? And I'm like, uh, and this was in the days, Karen, when HTML was the only thing you could use to build a website. And I said uh-huh. to him, well, it's not that easy. You have to use HTML. And he goes, oh, no problem. You can do it right. And he said, I'll pay you. So mm-hmm. I, I said, okay. So we made an agreement. You know, we had a contract mm-hmm. and I was going to build the website. He was going to give me a commission and he was going to pay me for my time. And I gave him a bid, blah, 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 put up the website and it was called the long hair video. And it was about his video. Well, we launched the site. He started getting a ton of orders. But guess what? He didn't have email. He didn't have a computer. He didn't have a fax machine. So when anybody wanted to order something, they had to do it through me. Mm -hmm. And then I had to take all the orders to his hair salon and drop them off. Speed ahead a couple months. And he was (laughs) selling all these videos, right? But he wasn't. People were sending in all these questions, lots and lots of hair questions. And so he said to me one day, you know, and he hadn't paid me, by the way. And he said to me, you know what? This is too much work. I don't really want to do this. I don't want to answer stupid emails because I don't even have a computer. And I don't you don't you can't answer emails because you don't know anything about hair. And my my aunt was a hairdresser. That was the extent of my knowledge. I knew hair grew out of my head. And I knew that the software engineer thought it sucked. But that was it. (laughs) <laughs> so I had invested about a thousand dollars of my own money building the site. He had never paid me. And I said to him, okay, well, just sign the website back over to me. So I did, he did. And I relaunched it as hairboutique.com, which was the first consumer focused hair and beauty site on the internet. And it was launched in 1995. 
Nice. That's amazing. And of course, we needed content. And of course, I didn't have any money to spend on somebody. So guess who wrote all the hair and beauty content? Oh, right. Would that be you? Be me. And so over the last 25 years, I've written over 10,000 articles, blogs, columns on hair and beauty, which are still up on hairboutique.com, which is still live after 25 years. So throughout the years of wanting to promote the website, I will go and write on other forums or websites. I'll donate my writing. I started writing on Quora.com approximately in 2012. And that's where I met Sean because he started the same month I did. And so I focused on writing about hair and beauty on Quora. And I've also um, written... On, on. I need I need, I need, need a sidebar. Um, yes. Sean would be... Sean Kiernan, K-E-R. Sean Kiernan, who yeah. we interviewed in episode yes. 187. Yes, yeah, Sean Kiernan. Yeah. 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 yeah, him. That guy. The good guy. The writing god. I call him the writing god. I tell him I, I bow at his feet. But, yeah. you know, I watched him and I was so impressed. Anyway, initially Quora would let me promote hairboutique.com. It was not a problem. Mm-hmm. But eventually they decided, no, no, we don't want you promoting hairboutique.com. But people just knew I was from there. So I would write mostly about hair and beauty. But eventually people started asking me about astrology and they started asking me about feng shui and about software and about business and about all the crazy things in my life. And it just exploded to the point where even though most of the content, I've written over 10,000 answers on Quora to date. Most of them are about hair and beauty, but some are about all these other topics. And a couple of years ago, Quora said to me, would you like to start a space on true crime? So I did. And I had over 200,000 followers on that space. Nice. So um, when I started writing on uh, Medium, I just took the same principle because they let me talk about hairboutique.com. And recently they allowed me to put the cover of my book on my landing page or my profile page on Medium. So if you go to if you go to Medium and look up Karen Marie Shelton, there's my book. Oh, that okay. is so cool. Um, so I mean, you started with tech writing. Yep. Do you do you feel that the skills you learned doing that are still playing out through your current writing? Yes, but um, I've had a few hiccups when I started trying to write personal essays. That was a different mindset and it kind of messed me up for a little while. I had to, and, and in fact, Karen knows I'm always taking writing classes. In fact, I've, I've taken this year alone five different writing classes. I'm always taking writing classes. I'm always reading books about writing. And so when I tried to go from tech writing to writing about hair and beauty, that was a little bit of a stretch. But when I tried to go to writing essays, which I mostly write now for medium, that was a big stretch. And then recently, this summer, I tried to write persuasive essays, which are a different beast altogether. And I finally got pretty good at that. But once again, I had to really wrap my head a different direction to learn how to do it. Okay, tell us about these. I I don't recognize the phrase. Persuasive essay, it's where you have one argument, like gorillas should be allowed to live um, 
in New York City in penthouse. That would be your argument. I'm arguing that gorillas should be able to live in New York City in a penthouse. And then you give three really strong arguments about why gorillas should be allowed to live in penthouses. And you have to support each one of those three arguments with statistics and <laughs> current events. Um, you know, the f- psychology of why a gorilla gets depressed if they don't get to live in New York in a penthouse. And it basically is an entire essay where you are focusing on one single argument and by the end, you have given all the reasons why you believe and you've given verification by facts and figures and statistics of why gorillas should live in New York in penthouses. And that's what a persuasive essay is, which is different than a personal essay where you're sharing a true experience that you had in your lifetime and you're providing a sequence of events of what happened during that time that you're writing the essay about. Yeah, I learned persuasive essays when we were, um, that was our kind of, you know, when, when we learned the, the five paragraph essay. Yes. Know, yeah. Yes. That, that was what we were taught. Is that, and, is, yeah. that, is that a school thing? Yeah, it was a school thing. Ch- Chaz went to a different kind of school. Than I, I, I went to a very, very different kind of schooling. I have never been asked to write a five paragraph essay. In oh life. yeah. The five paragraph. That's what it is, Karen. Cause you have the intro. Well, you have the single, you have the one, you have the one single statement, the one single argument. Then yeah. you have the intro, then the three paragraphs arguing your statement, and then the summary. So it's yeah. five, it's five paragraphs. Yes. Yep. It's a Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> but, but you're right, because even if you use that kind of, you know, intro supporting, 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 you know, um, yes. conclusion, there's different modes and points and whatever that you can be, you know, one can be persuasive, one can be, Argumentative. Argumentative. One could be, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. but just informative. Informative. You know, yes. there, there's a variety of whatever okay. you want to write about. It's just a structure. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. I, I, as you know, my life has been so entirely unstructured. I, I yes. react very poorly to any suggestion about structure. Oh, I love that. I love, well, look at my life. You know, I start out one direction. I think I'm yeah. going to be a, a sociologist and next thing you know I'm coding cobol in a yeah. in a cube in the dark you know absolutely so um because 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 this is this is the way my life went fiction ever thought about writing fiction I have written fiction yes oh cool tell us well um one of the proposals I did was uh a fiction it was it was kind of like a I'm not really into science fiction too much, but I'm sort of into metaphysical things. And so it was a story about a witch and how she grew up and it was all fiction. Okay. Oh, okay. But I never published it. I, I sent a proposal. They loved it, but they said, well, we're not sure. You know how it goes. We're not sure. And you know, and I never, I, I worked with agents, but I never signed with one. In fact, I don't know if you know of her, but there's a famous agent named Jan Brown who yeah. is in Dallas. And I actually met with her um, when I was working on the book for the famous celebrity hairstyles. Oh, I was yeah. going to wow. be the ghostwriter for him. Yeah. And, oh, wow, I would have loved to have gotten her, signed with her, because she does a lot of, you know, biographies of famous people, autobiographies yeah. and biographies. And I love writing about that, too. But, you know, it didn't happen. So, oh, well. well I mean, if, if a ghostwriting gig came your way now, would you take it? I don't think so. Well, at this point, you're, you, you've got, um, you're, you're putting things out under your, your actual name. Yes. And, you know, what is it called? Building a brand. Yes. Um, that kind of thing. And so, um, I think it behooves you to continue doing that. Well, 
You know, the ghost writing book that I did do with the famous celebrity hair stylist, and I adored him. I had known him for years, and he actually uh, recommended me. for. He asked me if I would do it, and I said, sure. The problem I had, Chaz, is once push came to shove and I was ready to go, and he was in L.A., I flew out there to shadow him. Yeah. Uh, he avoided me like the plague. I couldn't get him to sit down and talk to me for more than like, you know, an hour at a time. And I told the, you know, the <laughs> agents, I said, I don't know what's happening. Well, you know, what's happening. They don't want you to know who they really are. And you can't really write a great book about somebody if they won't open up and let you in. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, that had not occurred to me, but yeah. Yeah. I see that completely. Yeah. But I would write one for you or Karen. <laughs> thank you thank you i would make an exception for you our karen we appreciate that everybody out there it's just me and chas okay so just me and chas yeah yeah give her some privacy okay so well this has been delightful i know i would i would pay you guys just to talk to you because i find you two the most fascinating people <laughs> i mean i've read chas and i love by the way can i say this i love the three twins um, at the Crater School. Oh, Three Twins at the Crater School. Oh, oh my gosh, I love that book. And oh, of course, I love Karen. And I love what she writes about on Medium. Um, and I've enjoyed meeting her. So I would pay you guys just to talk to you. Or I could teach you to do COBOL and then you could share your life with me. Actually, you know, <laughs> we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. Okay. You know, okay. I need another language. I mean, if, if I could learn... If I could learn all the other languages, I could learn COBOL. I could. Oh, I'm sure you could. It's just, it's very annoying because it's so obtuse. And, you know, that was so many years ago. Think about it. In fact, I mean, that, that, that's a language that did start on um, punch cards. Yes, it yeah. did. It did. Along with Fortran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, and PL1 and Assembler. Well, my father was a rocket scientist. Oh, and so, I love that. Yeah, I, that's what, yeah. My father was a rocket scientist and um, in Huntsville, Alabama. And that's a whole other story and not related. See, to I need to pay you. I need to ghostwrite that about your dad. That's what I need to do. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we will put links to the to the podcast and the interesting things we mention on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You have been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is performed by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineers are David Welsh and John Schmidt. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Ingberg. You can hear more from Michael Ingberg on minihatsmusic.com. Our sponsors are Jackal Designs in Australia, The Bean Scene in Sunnyvale, and Arm Street in Ukraine. Thank you very much, 